How many of us believe that we can think about nothing? Now, some people claim to. I mean, my teenage son right here, if I asked Alex, Alex, what are you thinking about? What's his likely answer going to be? Nothing, right? (laughs) Maybe driving along in the car with my wife, perhaps after a bit of a disagreement, and I'll say, you know, honey, what are you thinking about? And she's going to say, nothing, which is really code, guys, for nothing you want to hear me say right now. And if we don't know, have, have any sense at all, we're not going to push it, right? But is it really possible to think about nothing? We're going to try that, okay? Count of three, we're going to try to think about nothing. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Think about nothing! Pretty unsuccessful, if you're like me anyway. I've got lots of things going on in my brain. I'm going to help us out here. I'm going to change our thoughts. I'm going to actually tell you what not to think about, all right? So try this. Do not think about a savory T-bone steak on your grill at home right now. That's not fair, is it? No, I see it right there. Okay, do not think about a, a, a little white bunny rabbit with pink polka dots riding on a skateboard. There it is, right? Craziness. The reality is that even when we seek to turn off our brains, either by watching TV, maybe doing some exercise, perhaps some uh, working out in the yard, we're just changing one source of input for another. Ray Pritchard says, did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day? That works out to be 3.5 million thoughts a year. So if you live to be age 75, you'll have over 260 million different thoughts. Already, most of you have had over 2,000 separate thoughts since you got out of bed this morning. You'll probably have another 8,000 before you hit the sack tonight. Then you'll start all over again tomorrow. Every one of those 10,000 thoughts represents a choice you make, a decision to think about this and not about that. You know, for centuries, even dating back to ancient Egypt, man has tried to understand the influence and working of the brain. Through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, by dissection and experimentation, scientists determined that the behavior of the body is a result of stimulation in the brain. In the 1800s, the role of electricity in our brain and our nervous system was explored. The invention of the microscope, it allowed for more sophisticated study of the physical brain. In the 20th century, we saw the the expansion of the field of neuroscience and neuroplasticity that recognizes that the brain changes the way it operates and communicates within the body throughout a person's lifetime. We now have science believing that we can download our brain into a computer or put a computer right into our brain and actually change the behavior and our actions. Modern-day psychologists, behavior specialists, motivational speakers, you know, they teach the people how to program their brain or, or reprogram it. You know, where this all leads, I don't know. But there is no doubt that the importance of the physical brain and how its programming and memory and thoughts impact the life and the well-being of a person is undeniable. Well, 2,000 years ago, before modern medicine, before modern-day psychiatry, the Apostle Paul wrote about the importance of programming the brain, not for health and wealth, but for fully enjoying the life that God desires for Christians. We're continuing to work through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote while under house arrest in Rome. He's been arrested, detained, chained to a Roman guard, and that's the setting for him as he writes this. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Philippians chapter 4. 
verse 8 and 9. It'll be on the screen behind. Philippians, New Testament, near the back end of your Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Here we go. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul starts verse 8 there, you see, with finally. Now, he's not saying finally because, you know, hey, finally, it's, you know, let's get this done because it's lunchtime. No, he's saying rather finally or, or because of what we've just covered, here's a summation. This is where I have already, what I've already said is kind of leading us to. Now, he addresses his brothers and sisters. So he's obviously speaking to believers or followers of Christ. Now, now if you're here this morning and uh, you're not a Christian, not even sure about all this talk about God, maybe it's just a bunch of garbage, um, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for being here, and I just hope that there's something here that I say that can be helpful in your life as well. So our outline this morning is three quick points. We're going to be talking about our thoughts, our actions, and God's promise. So first off, our thoughts. Well, we see, so Paul here is speaking to believers, and what does he say? Well, he identifies a list of things that we should think about. I'd like you to participate with me on this list. So I'm going to read out this list, and I'd like you to repeat after me, all right? So he says, whatever is true, everyone say true. Whatever is honorable, say honorable. Whatever is lovely, say lovely. Whatever is commendable, say commendable. That's a tough one, I know. Whatever is excellence, say excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, say worthy of praise. If there's anything funny, say funny. I got some of you. It's actually, actually, that one's not actually there. It should be because funny is great. But anyway, um, you know, but he says, think about these things. Now, here's some definitions that, that are not found but, uh, in Webster's, but they are good for our context today. So let's just run through. What could these words mean? So true, that is what Scripture says. What is honorable? Things that help us to live morally. What is right? That which matches up with God's holiness. What is pure? Clean, wholesome. What is lovely? Well, sweet, generous thoughts which are beautiful to God. What is admirable? Well, it's respectable in the eyes of God and his people. Excellence, actively seeking to think as well as we can, not settling for mediocrity. What is worthy of praise? Well, again, the idea here is asked, can this thought be praised by God? And he says, think about these things. Other translations actually use the word dwell on. Dwell on these things. Dwell on, think on. These aren't fleeting observations. They're kind of like just a happenstance in life. Oh, that was great. Move on next. No, this is identifying in our life, in the world around us, things that are worthy of praise. But why? Why does it matter what I think about or what I dwell on? I think we would generally agree that our actions flow from a thought that we have in our mind. You know, rarely do we have something happen and say, wow, didn't see that coming. Not really, right? You know, even then, my brain had to communicate to my hand to slap my face. By the way, that's my, one of my techniques for 
staying awake on the Trans-Canada parking lot for commute. But uh, you guys don't... Anyway. You know, this is especially true with patterns of destructive behavior. You know, that behavior that we hate doing, perhaps it's losing our temper. Maybe it's getting into bad relationships. Maybe it's poor financial decisions. Maybe something really personal, like, you know, viewing pornography or, or having an affair. You know, we're embarrassed. We're shamed. I'm never going to do that again, we say. But we just can't seem to kick it. You know, sometimes we make a mistake. We say, wow, you know, I just wasn't thinking. But if we've made that same mistake numerous times, we kind of can't use that excuse again, can we? You know, generally speaking, we, we, we think of something, we have a thought or an idea, we let it simmer for a little bit, you know, sometimes for years or months, sometimes days, or if an impulsive young man, sometimes about two seconds, and then we act on it. You know, and sometimes the results are good, and sometimes not so good. How many here have ever kind of done an impulsive thing that, you know, almost or did turn out poorly? Nobody. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about me. Here we go. This past spring, um, I was out flying a float plane that my employer owns, and, and it was a late afternoon. I was flying empty, kind of from the Chilliwack area, back to Fort Langley, where the airplane is based. And I called up my wife, Tamika, and I said, hey, babe, you know, you want to go for a short flight? She said, sure. So I picked her up in Chilliwack, and we headed westbound. And it was a beautiful evening, so we were just kind of flying low level, um, about 100 feet above the, the water of the Fraser River. And as we flew past Mission, I relayed to Tomiko how about 30 years ago, you know, I'd do this. You know, it was fun, especially the first time I got to fly underneath some power lines. Well, just west of Mission, there was an island in the Fraser called Crescent Island. There's a set of power lines there that kind of runs from North Shore onto the island and it continues on to the South Shore line. So without thinking, now there's the key, right? So without thinking too much and wanting to add some excitement to our evening, I decided to stay low and fly under the power lines. Kind of a quick thought, no time for a plan. You know, it's only been 30 years, right? So as I mentioned, this was evening, which meant flying into the sunset, uh, forward visibility is restricted due to squinting into the sun, glare on the water. We're just starting to fly by the island when I was, had a scary realization. The power lines on the north side of the island are actually quite high. They're probably like 150 feet off the water. These are the ones that I intended to fly under. The power lines on the south side of the island are just kind of normal telephone pole height, you know, about 60 feet. Well, I'm at 60 feet, and I'm on the south side of the island. Instantly, when I realized these key pieces of information, I stuck the nose down in a hurry just in time to see power lines zip past their heads. Tamiko instinctively ducked, like that's going to help. So I look at her and I say, oops. She just kind of choked at me, um, realizing how close we came to orphaning our kids. I'm probably wrecking a nice airplane too. We landed in Fort Langley a few minutes later. I'm glad to have married such a wonderful woman that we're able to kind of regain perspective on life and reestablish our date night mindset, you know, despite the near consequences of my impulsive actions. The bottom line is our actions will flow from the decisions in our mind. These thoughts can come from good habits, or often, given as we are living in these mortal bodies, these thoughts lead to bad habits or to sinfulness. Our living well of making good decisions always begins as a battle in our mind. To begin to see victory in our mind, we are called to renew it, to reprogram it. So let's see this list of worthwhile thoughts that Paul says to, 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 to dwell on. Let's see that as, as a program or the code to reprogram our brain. 
Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Renewing our mind will transform us. Renewing our mind allows us to start to see things, to see people, to see the world, and to see ourselves the way God sees. God looks at us and he sees his precious child, his creation, that he knew even before birth. Some of us look at ourselves and we see failure. We see ugly, we see fat, we see pervert. You know, our minds can be so full of anxiety, worry, lust, greed, envy, and garbage. It's pretty tough for us to see things the way that God might. This list of things that we're to dwell on, these virtues to think on, is a pretty good description of the gospel, isn't it? And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. This list is meant to send us to biblical truths. Is the gospel message true? Is the gospel message knowable? Sure. This renewal, this reprogram, is only as effective as what we are renewing it with. Now, now this particular list of virtues specifically deals with us dwelling on truths contained in Scripture. Now, John MacArthur, John MacArthur writes, Paul's call for biblical thinking in this text is especially relevant in our culture. The focus today is on emotion and pragmatism, and the importance of serious thinking about biblical truth is downplayed. People no longer ask, is it true, but does it work? And how does it make me feel? Those latter two questions serve as a working definition of truth in our society that rejects the concept of absolute divine truth. Truth is whatever works and produces positive emotions. Sadly, such pragmatism and emotionalism has crept even into theology. The church is often more concerned about whether something will be divisive or offensive than whether it was biblically true. You know, here at Central, we claim to be centered on the gospel and rooted in the Bible. If this is the case, then dwelling on these virtues that Paul lays out should really resonate with us. Paul says, think on these things or dwell on these things. Now, what if we did an assessment of what many of us choose to dwell on? You know, there's an awful lot of stuff on TV and leather electronic devices that is not true or honorable. Much of what we listen to is not just or pure. Much of what we read is not lovely or commendable. Much of what we choose to speak is, is not worthy of praise. But hey, wait a minute, you know, that program I was watching on TV, it's hilarious. The acting is good, the writing is awesome. It's received rewards. But what message, as we try to be a little discerning, what message is being communicated? I know this can start sounding kind of pretty legalistic. You know, don't do this, do this. But please don't miss the point that I'm trying to make here. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. Yes, we are saved by faith, not by works. But we fool ourselves to think that there are no consequences to the choices that we make. We fool ourselves to think there's no effect on us by what we put into our brains, even if they are socially acceptable. We're being programmed every day by what we're putting into our minds. Few of us live isolated lives. We're engaged with our family. We're engaged with the workplace. We're engaged with community. So we'll certainly have contrary ideas, you know, images, material entering our brains. You know, many times we can't control the input. My question is, what are we doing with our discretionary time? Let's... Um, I'm sure that Paul, among the palace guard in Rome, chained to a guard as a prisoner, he engaged in conversation with everyone who would listen. He's exposed to and interacted with many contrary uh, thoughts, words, and ideologies. And yet here he is, 
able to write this letter claiming to be at peace, and he tells us how. It's not that he wasn't aware of destructive ideas and content around him. He just didn't choose to dwell on it. Instead, he chose to dwell on the virtues of God's truth. Betty Sashelli writes, Two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time, so the choice is ours, whether or not our thoughts will be constructive or destructive. I realize there are many other positive things we can think about and dwell on, you know, that aren't specifically biblical truths. One of my favorite reminders in life comes from James verse 1, pardon me, James chapter 1, verse 17, where he writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above, flowing down from the heavenly, Father of heavenly lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Here James recognizes anything good is a gift of God. Your children, gifts from God. Our enjoyment of the trees, the flowers, the mountains, the rivers, these are gifts from God. The, the aroma of fresh-cut grass, gifts from God. Our animals, like horses and dogs, gifts from God. Some people may even argue that cats are... No, let's not push it. <laughs> but these gifts are not exactly what Paul is speaking about here in this passage. You know, these things are lovely and they're to be enjoyed, but they're not tied specifically back to the truth of God's word and the gospel message. Enjoying the beauty of a sunset, although praiseworthy of a divine creator, doesn't remind us that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, for example. Or going for a hike, you know, it allows us to enjoy these wonderful physical bodies that we've been given. But it doesn't necessarily remind us that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's back up a little bit. Um, I think last week in the previous verses, Paul told us, and you heard it last week, the what about Christian living. He said, to be anxious about nothing, but in all things, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you remember that from last week? Do you see the connection? Do you see how what he says in verse 6 there last week connects here to verse 8? He tells us, do not be anxious, uptight, stressed out. Well, anxiety is a state of our mind. It's in our thoughts. And then here in verse 8, he tells us the how. The way this will happen is through the renewal of our mind, by thinking and dwelling on the right things. I want to draw your attention to the way Paul writes here. Paul doesn't say here, you know, don't watch the Game of Thrones, or, or you know, don't serve porn online, or don't verbally abuse your kids, don't cheat on your taxes, don't disrespect your wife. You know, don't be prideful or celebrate in other people's misfortune. You know, make yourself feel better about yourself. You know, I might suggest some of these things, but, but Paul doesn't do it here. Instead, he identifies what we should dwell on. In this passage, Paul doesn't write a list of don'ts. He writes a list of do's, and I wonder why. How many of you have ever taught your kids to, to shoot a bow and arrow or perhaps a rifle? You know, you're there with your kid, you're probably kind of shadowing over them, you have, an, you have one hand on the weapon, and you're not saying at that time, you know, hey, John or Susie, you know, don't shoot your brother, don't shoot the house, don't shoot the ground, don't shoot the tree, you know, you're not doing that. That might be a part of the, 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 the safety briefing early on, but when you're actually trying to train them to shoot things, what do you say? Aim at the target. That's right. Look at the tip of your arrow or the muzzle of your gun and keep it on the target. Well, Paul here is saying, you want to renew your mind? Aim at the target, which is the good news of Christ, the gospel message. 
as you aim at the target, your focus will not be on all that other stuff. Now, you may be tempted to wander your gaze now and again, but then you remember, oh yeah, back to the target, back to the target, back to the target. The beauty of the target. You know, I earn a, a living as a pilot. Uh, one of the jobs I've held in the past is working as a, at Con Air, which is an aerial force firefighting company. One of the primary jobs I held there was uh, training and certifying bird dog pilots. Bird dog pilots fly the small aircraft. They're responsible for kind of testing out and then demonstrating a firebombing run to the tankers to ensure safety and accuracy. When fighting a forest fire, you kind of have to get low to the ground. And that, along with other variables such as uh, you know, wind, smoke, other aircraft, terrain, um, it can be hazardous at times. Now, when, when scoping the area out, the bird dog has identified the bigger picture for possible pitfalls and, and, and issues so that when the tanker comes in overhead, the bird dog pilot can be confident that the run I'm going to show this guy is going to make it the safest and the most effective way to get the job done. So with the tanker overhead and observing the bird dog We'll fly a pattern, we'll fly a regular pattern, I'll come around and I'll call, okay, I'm on final now. Target is in sight. Three, two, one. Bombs away now, target elevation 1,200 feet, your exit is straight out. The tanker pilot has now observed it, he's heard it, and he can focus on the line to improve the chances for success. He can focus on the target without the stress of all those other hazards around him. Paul knows that there are many possible pitfalls that believers can encounter. We know that today there are innumerable pitfalls that will lead us sideways. But to best achieve this mind renewal folk process, to focus on the things that will keep us on the target, focus on the gospel. As we develop this life habit, this discipline of dwelling on the truths of scripture, we'll find that some of those destructive things, the anxiety, the temptations, dissatisfaction, greed, hatred, unforgiveness, lust, whatever it may be, We'll find those destructions that used to occupy our minds become less attractive. Are they still there? For sure. They haven't gone away, but they're no longer dominant here in our mind. Now, you might be thinking, you know, that's easy for you to say. You know, you don't know my past. You don't know my current struggles. No, I may not. You know, some of you are likely struggling with very real challenges. But, but there is hope for mind renewal. Our brain has different regions in it responsible for behavior, thought patterns, and emotions. Carrying the information between these different regions are neurons. These neurons carry the information. We, we have that same, if we do the same actions, the same thoughts, over and over again, neuron pathways are created. The neurons get really efficient at taking the same route to deliver information. We get good or predictable at doing certain tasks, we don't even have to think about it anymore. And these can be good, good things or bad things. So smart people, scientists, not me, um, study the human brain. A couple things they now know is that the brain continues to grow new neurons and new neuron pathways our entire lives. These pathways, these neurons fire between the different areas of our brain can change all the time depending on the stimuli we're programming our brain with. It's called neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity, also known as brain plasticity, is the ability of the brain to change continually throughout an individual's life. So these scientists have demonstrated that these neuron pathways that are strong from certain activities, they can be shut down when stimuli change. And new pathways can be formed. Bad habits or behaviors or thoughts can be reduced. Healthy pathways and thought patterns can be created. 
Now, some of you may be saying, you know, my programming's deep. There's no way my thoughts can change. You know, I'm a permanently anxious, angry person. That's just the way I am. I can't change. Oh, really? Imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment, you are having the worst day of your life. You feel lousy. You know, you're behind on your bills. Your daughter needs braces. People at work are gossiping about you. You just had a huge argument with your wife, and your cat just puked on your carpet. And along comes a stranger. And he says, you know, you don't know me. I'm a wealthy businessman, and when I was praying this morning, the Lord told me to give this to you. He hands you a big old thick envelope, and he walks away. You open the envelope, and you discover a million dollars cash. What's your response? Lousy, right? You said you can't change. No way. Your day just went from being lousy to awesome. Your shoulders come up. Your chin comes up. You talk louder. You breathe deeper. You get animated. You know, you've just had a true physiological change from an external source. These neurons have just fired in a whole new way. Is it, in this example of kind of this free cash, our physiology, the way we think, it can have a change in that instant. We can create lasting change over time if we choose, with repetition, the right things to program with. Do you not realize that the gospel, the good news of being condemned but now free, of being destined to eternal damnation, to fullness in Christ in heaven, is worth far more than an envelope of cash? What Paul knows is as we exercise some habits and we choose to dwell on these truths, we can renew our mind with new neural pathways and actually create physiological change. This is the joy that he speaks about numerous times in this letter. So we've talked about our minds. Let's look at point two. Let's look at our actions. So Paul continues in verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Learned, received, heard, and seen. You know, Paul was a Christian persecutor. He was redeemed on the road to Damascus. He became an apostle, a missionary, a teacher. And now he in chains, he figures he's an example to follow. Was Paul perfect? No, he, he says that, admits that often. He remembers how as a Pharisee, he persecuted Jews who would dare suggest that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He had them stoned to death. But he also remembers his conversion, and that solely by the grace of God, he has spent many years proclaiming the good news. So when he says, I'm an example to follow, to learn from, you know, he's, spe he's speaking of, you know, look at what the grace of God is capable of, and more importantly, look at the target, the beauty of Jesus and the salvation that only he provides. Now, I'm sure that Paul had many Christian disciplines that he followed, such as prayer, fasting, forgiving, dwelling on God's truth. He cites all of these were done in the context of overwhelming gratefulness. All of his actions were a product or result or an outpouring of the good news of Christ. Just as an aside, you know, Paul says, you know, look at me, practice these things. Well, I wonder, you know, as moms and dads, are we confident to say, hey kids, look at me, practice these things. You know, what I watch, how I talk, how I love other people. As Christians in the workplace or in the, uh, just hanging out, going to the store, wherever we go, are we legit to say, hey, look at me, the things I dwell on, 
the things you see in me, practice these things. Something to think about. So Paul assumes that these Christians are learning. But learning about something isn't enough. We must receive it or believe it, and then we must practice it. It's been about 10 years since Paul planted this church in Philippi, but he still knows they remember hearing him speak and saw him living out his life among them. So Paul then says, he says, These things that you have learned, received, heard, and seen, practice these things. Practice, he says. How many of us play sports? Two. Okay. How many people here play a musical instrument? A couple more. Good. Drive a car. Hey. Fly an airplane. Eat spaghetti. What about dress yourselves? Good. Thank you. Anything that we do requires practice because we know that practice makes perfect. You bet. The better we seek at becoming at something, the more we practice it. You want to get better experiencing the peace of God? Paul says, practice these things. When Paul says, use my example and practice these things, do you think that he means, you know, Sunday morning between 10.30 and noon? Or practice these things twice a week, maybe Sunday and at life group night? Or maybe just practice these things when people are watching? When an athlete is looking to be more than good, more than great, but is really looking to master a sport, you think they only think or practice once a week? No way. They're doing something every day. They study, they train, they watch their diet, they ensure they get adequate rest. It's ever-present in their mind. And this is what Paul is speaking to. Our identity in Christ, our seeking renewal of our mind to enjoy the fullness of God isn't a chore that we take on once a week. This is something that is ever-present in our consciousness. So as we practice these things, as we choose to focus on these attributes of God and the gospel, what are we promised? Point three, we are promised God's promise, which says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, he doesn't just say, you know, God will be with you, because we know God is always with us as Christians. You know, Jesus promised his followers that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. But God has many attributes that can be emphasized or made known to us in different contexts. There's the God of mercy, God of justice, God of goodness, God of grace, God of love. In this case, the God of peace. One God, but many attributes. The God of peace brings order, meaning, and context, despite our circumstances. Ultimately, the God of peace brings reconciliation of men and women to himself. The God of peace brings reconciliation in order to the relationship between us, in our families, in our communities. In our church, one of the greatest needs we have is the God of peace. Now, this isn't a mamby-pamby fake peace like we generally embrace, or, or this isn't a, a peace that, you know, I get from reading a few positive mental attitude books by Napoleon Hill or Ogmandino or something. No, not the positive attitude is bad. I'm not saying that. But this is a peace that is present despite our present circumstances. You know, when the family's in turmoil, dad loses his temper all the time, mom's addicted to Facebook, Johnny is smoking weed, and Julie has an eating disorder. You know, but the God of peace can, is still present. What a God of peace promises is, I know you live in a screwed up world, a world of disorder, a world where you wrestle with sinfulness and struggles, but look to me, look to what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, worthy of praise, and I will give you my peace despite the turmoil you are experiencing. 
We're not promised a perfect life free from challenges. We are promised that as we dwell on these truths of God, we we will experience the God of peace. Now, many of us try to live our Christian lives of, uh, you know, not doing that, not watching that, not saying that. You know, sometimes it's funny. We, we see Christians and non-Christians involved in the same sinful activities. The only difference is the Christian feels guilty about it. You know, it's kind of, but the change happening in most people and in their minds deal with earthly battles. The reality is that we are in a spiritual battle. Satan abhors peace. Satan abhors what the God of peace provides. He loves disorder. He loves stress, anxiety, our brains being pulled into different directions. No resolution, no peace, and no rest. I realize that bad things happen. You know, sometimes these things are outside of our control. Sometimes they're a direct result of our own actions. Pain is real. Illness is real. Financial stress is real. Relational stress is real. Problems at work, they're real. Some of you are in the midst of a battle of cancer. Some of you are in a really bad relationship. Some of us are living out the results of poor business decisions or other financial stress. Some of you suffer from clinical depression or mental illness. I don't pretend to know how difficult that must be. I'm not for a second trying to minimize the impact that living can be difficult You know, or if we just think happy thoughts, all of our troubles will go away. What I am saying is I believe the lessons in this book are true and the promises of God are true. Am I going to screw up and think about lousy thoughts now and again? Yes. Am I going to feel anxiety, desperation, guilt, regret once in a while? Sure. But as I pray for God to show me his promises that are good, true, pure, lovely, etc., and I form the spiritual habit of dwelling on these things, the mind renewal will progress. Being able to release my anxieties will become easier. Would you choose to begin this mind renewal process with me? Let's, let's get that garbage out by putting the good stuff in. You know, if you think you can make change in your mind... Without changing the programming, you're fooling yourself. If you think dwelling on garbage won't impact you, you're fooling yourself. If you find yourself more excited about those envelopes of cash, that they'll bring the fulfillment and the peace of God rather than the gospel of Christ, and you expect that peace of God, you are fooling yourself. As the band comes up, I just ask you to come on up, and uh, also communion servers. I'd like, I'm just going to ask, could we put the, uh, the verses online? I'd like us all just to read through this list of virtues one more time. So let's all join it together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, please read with me. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Sorry, where'd I go? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned, what you received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There is the promise. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of peace. 
You desire that we enjoy the peace that you provide, and sometimes our minds are so full of ideas contrary to your good news that it's difficult to sift through. Lord, instill in each of us the desire, the discipline to pursue your truth, to dwell on your truth, so that the garbage in the world will pale in comparison and becomes less attractive to us. As we move into communion, Lord, as we, as we desire to remember your gift, your sacrifice, the good gospel message, Lord, I just pray that prepare our hearts for that. In Jesus' name, amen.